0: Well, we are in a series out of the book of Proverbs called Basics, and it's a return to the basics of life. And as you well know, that in every arena, in every discipline, in every field, there are fundamentals, there are basics to becoming great at or a master at. And it is true of life that there are basics or fundamentals. Uh, The Bible calls it wisdom. And we just simply said this, that wisdom is the skill It's not simply knowledge, the skill of living life well. And so we talked about how do you live life well uh, in a few different areas. Week one, we opened up with just what wisdom is, and it laid the foundation for our series. Go back and listen to that, awakeningchurch.com. Last week, we talked about, anybody help me remember? Friends, yeah, unfiltered friendship. And how do you do friendship well and wisely? This morning, we're going to be talking about future, dot, 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 and how do we make big decisions in life? Like, can you face the future with confidence in an uncertain world? And how do you discover God's will for your life? Maybe, what do you hope the future will look like? And how do you skillfully navigate it well? Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and one of them is the TED Radio Hour. I don't know if you listen to that at all. Yeah, some of you? Okay, I love, love that one. And just recently, uh, there was one, uh, their TED Radio Hour was Future Consequences. And it was talking all about the future and artificial intelligence, gene editing, data collecting, and what, what once was sci-fi And science fiction is now becoming our reality. And they brought in both sides of the conversation of people who are incredibly um, excited about it and others that are concerned about it. And I happen to be kind of in the middle because if we don't approach these big issues wisely... um, When you're talking about, you know, uh, gene editing and the process for that or how we're going to interact with artificial intelligence and all those sort of things, the future can be a very scary place. And just thinking about this last Friday, my daughter celebrated her 13th birthday. I'm now a dad of a teenager. Hello. Oh, good grief. And, And thinking about what her future will be in 10, 15 years. And here's what we know. We live in a day of uncertainty, don't we? We live with rapid change. You look around, there's moral chaos. There is global crises happening all around from natural disasters to governmental shifts to powers that are trying to overthrow regimes. And there's economic uncertainty. In light of that... What's some of your or maybe your top two fears about the future? I know that's big picture and that's out there, but the reality is is there's things in your life, problems that you're facing. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe there's a, a pressing and large, big decision that you're facing. Perhaps it's around a, a significant relationship. It could be with your kids might be in your marriage. It might be a great relationship. It might even be a health issue. And So in light of all of that, how do you navigate the future wisely? What's amazing is the Bible has so much to offer us. And so much hope. In fact, at the end of this service, what you, for some, walked in with anxiety and stress. I hope you walk out. I believe God wants you to walk out with hope and encouragement. And so, if you got your notes, would you open them up? We're gonna look at a, um, what I'm calling bad advice, big decisions, and then God's will for your life. Uh, to really understand how we navigate, life's biggest decisions and facing the future with confidence, we first have to look at some really bad advice that we're taking that's leading us to experience some detrimental results. And i got to be honest with the bad advice. They are cultural values, and so there might be an immediate resistance inside of you towards these bad advice. In fact, for some, I'm going to say it, and you're going to realize, not only have you received this advice, you've given it. It's okay. Just don't give it anymore. That's all, right? And then, and then I want to walk you through a process. Most of us never think through and have ever thought through how do you make big decisions in life? How do you have a grid or a matrix or a process upon which you make some of the biggest decisions of life? Who will I marry? Where will I live? Where should I go? What should I be doing with my life? And I want to give you a process. And then I want to help us, and, and this is amazing. You will discover God's will by the end of this sermon for your life. Because God's will, we'll get there, is not as mysterious as you think. All right? So bad advice. You got the outline? Bad advice. The first bit of bad advice we get in our culture is this. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. I am not going to ask if you've given that advice to anyone. Right? But follow your heart. Just follow your heart. It'll never lead you. Help me out. Yeah. That's so dumb. It's just, it sounds good, and that's the problem. It sounds good, and it sounds nice, and it sounds lovely, and wouldn't it be great if that's true? Now, imagine giving that advice to a teenage boy. (laughs) Just follow your heart. I'm a dad of a teenage girl. I will never give her the advice as a teenage girl. Just follow your heart. But, dad, I love him. Dad, I'm in love. I'm following my heart. Oh honey you don't know what love is yet. As when you look back on life you realize your heart can easily lead you astray. See, the difference bad advice says follow your heart, God's wisdom says guard your heart. In fact, uh, Proverbs 4:24 says above all else above all else guard your heart why? For everything you do flows from it. It determines the very course of your life. The heart is the seat, biblically, is the seat of your emotions, of your intellect, and your will. And it says from that place, all of life flows from it. And so you need to guard, you need to protect, you need to steward wisely your heart. Don't just run after whatever your heart in fact, Jeremiah says it this way, and this should give us a little word of caution. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, this really breaks down some of our culture. The reason follow your heart's good advice is fundamentally, or we think it's good advice, we have this presupposition that humans are fundamentally good in our culture and world. And because we believe you're fundamentally good, then you'll follow your heart and make good choices. The Bible tells a very different story. The Bible tells that you are made in the image of God, made in in beauty and perfection of Him, and yet sin entered the world, and so you are a distorted reflection of God, and you have a, uh, a sin nature or flesh that is naturally bending and pulling away from a holy and righteous and pure God. And so the heart then is more deceitful. And here's the problem you can't see it in the mirror. That's part of being self-deceived is you don't know you're deceived. That's literally the definition of it. And this is why this is so dangerous and yet it's so pervasive in our culture today. And especially young people and marriages that are experiencing devastation because follow your heart. Well, it's not just follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. Just do what makes you happy. You deserve to be happy. How many families have been torn apart by that phrase? How many times has doing what made you happy destroyed a kid's future? You know, we say things like, if it feels good, do it. As long as it's not hurting anyone, the problem is you're still a someone. See, the Bible, God's wisdom, if bad advice is do what makes you happy, God's wisdom is walk in integrity. Walk in integrity. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. See, what happens and what has happened in our world, we have made happiness a destination and a goal instead of happiness being a byproduct of a life well lived. In fact, uh, um, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud in his book, The Law of Happiness, writes this. He says, here's what the scientific research is finding about happiness. We are wired to experience happiness. Isn't that good to know? But we keep hitting the wrong buttons in our effort to turn our happiness on. And study after study shows that those who walk in integrity, make the hard choice and do what's right, are more happy. Follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. And then finally, life's all about the journey. It's all about the journey. I'm calling this the Gen X myth, okay? Us Gen Xers I kind of, as I'm a zennial, but I'll, I'll join you in this conversation. This is what we're told. The, the millennials, man, follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. That's your anthem right now. Gen Xers, this is all about the journey. Oh, enjoy the journey. It's a ride. It's all about the journey. Here's the problem. Is it it implies that the destination does not matter or that there is no destination? See, biblically, life is all about the journey to the destination. There is a destination. In fact, Proverbs 14.12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man or to a person. But in the end, it it leads to death. There's a way, there's a path, there is a path that you are on that you think, hey, this is great, and in and of ourselves, go, yeah, no, it's fine. But it always leads somewhere. Every journey ends somewhere and takes you somewhere. Every road has a direction that it's heading. And a great little book, if you want to dive more into this subject, is The Principle of the Path by Andy Stanley. And he's, in it, he says this I love this. He says, Direction, not intention, determines our destination. Direction the direction you're headed, the choices you're making in your marriage, the choices you're making with your kids, the choices you're making in regards to your character and integrity, the choices you're making with your your school and with your work, those choices determine the destination where you land, not your intention. Well, I never intended to hurt her. I never intended to end up here. I never intended to have this. And it happens with this presupposition, this bad advice we've taken. Well, life's all about the journey. The problem is we all end up somewhere. Did you get there on purpose? All right. So let's move some bad advice to some good advice. Move from some bad advice to how to make good decisions. I'm just going to give you five questions to wrestle with and to ask when you have a big decisions. Really, any decisions. This is important. But if you have big decisions in your life. First b- question ask: have I asked, put it up there for me, God for wisdom. Have I asked God for wisdom? For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 16, 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Now, if you're one of those people that like to fill in the blanks before I get to the blank, chances are you got this one right already, didn't you? Because it's incredibly obvious. Um, let me give you an illustration. Maybe you've had this happen. I've had this happen to me in um, in a handful of different areas, but this one was particularly painful. It was a while ago, I... Kids' lamp in their bedroom burned out, and so I go in there and I, you know, it's not working, so I change the bulb. Okay. Get a new bulb in there. Still not working. And then well, here's what I assume. I assume there's some sort of electrical malfunction, maybe a short up in here. And what I start to do is begin to pull this apart and take it so that, not that I'm any expert on it, but I think I can fix anything, though I break most things. And, and I start to begin to look into the intricacies of how this thing was made to figure out why it isn't working. And then one of my kids walks in the room and asks the question, I cannot stand being asked in the middle of a project. Dad? What? Is it plugged in? (laughs) Yeah, son, I wouldn't have gone through all the trouble of changing the bulb and not know if it's plugged in. And as they walk out of the room, I begin to think to myself, huh, I'm not really sure if it's plugged in or not, and well, sure enough, I go back there, and the bulb wasn't actually burnt out at all. It just wasn't plugged in, and hello, thank you very much, light. By the way, that is what we do with this question. Have I asked God for wisdom? It's so obvious, it's easily overlooked, It's so obvious, it's easy to dismiss it. Have I asked God? This is the starting point of making a big decision. And we look and try to fix, and they're not that they're the bad things that you're trying to look and fix. It's just that you're just not plugged into the source to get the wisdom you need for the decision you have to make. Question, do you really want to know what God has to say? about that big decision. You really want to know what God has to say about your job, your work, your finances. See, could it be that it isn't that God is not speaking, but we just don't really want to hear what he has to say? Have you slowed down to listen, to hear the voice of God? James 1, 5 says, If any of us lack wisdom, he should, help me out, I know some of you know more of the verse than that. If any of you lacks wisdom, because it's literally right up there, ask. Okay, you got it? Ask. We're all on the same page. So even if you don't know the verse, you've never been to church before, you know the answer. It's not Jesus. It's ask. Okay? (laughs) If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Who gives? you? Anybody know the next word? Generously to all without finding fault. But when he asks, he should not uh, Doubt. You should believe and not doubt, because that person's like a double-minded man, literally two-minded, having two minds about him, like a thrown and tossed by the waves. Well, what does it mean to believe and not doubt? Here's what it means, because here's the re- way we often ask God for wisdom. We ask God for wisdom like we ask a friend for advice. I want your advice as long as it lines up with what I have for my life, and it's a take or leave it proposition. When you ask God, and he says, believe and not doubt, to literally not have two minds about you, it is to say this, God, whatever you show me, I will do. When you come to God with that response, that heart, he will show you every time. 100%. Whatever you show me, I will do. And then he'll show you, and you got to go gulp and go, okay, did I really want to know what God had to say? Have I asked God for wisdom? Question number two Who am I listening to? Who am I listening to? Am I listening to friends, parents, mentor, myself, culture? Am I simply listening to those who tell me what I want to hear? The way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. The wisest person that walked the planet, Solomon, writes about seeking wise counsel more than any other writer in the New Testament or in the Bible. Who are you listening to? Evaluate. Whose voices are you hearing? I mean, back to the question do I really want to hear what God has to say about my finances? Do I really want to hear about what God has to say about sexual purity? Do I really want to hear about what God has to say about being a man or woman of integrity in the workplace? Do I have people in my life who will tell me what's actually real? That will give it to me straight. Do I have people in my life? Do I have a person in my life that's maybe five, maybe 10, maybe 20 years ahead of me that has seen life and where they're at? When I ask that question, what do you want the future to look like when he goes to relationships? You look at them. I want it to look like them. I want my family to look like theirs. And are you around people like that that you're listening to, that you're listening to, that you're asking, asking advice from? Who are you listening to? To. And too often, we surround ourselves with people that simply tell us what we want to hear. And in that, you've you got to really evaluate, then, what are my motives? What are my motives in this decision? See, there's uh, Proverbs 16.2 says, All a person seem pure to them, but the motives are weighed to the heart, weighed by the, heart, by the Lord. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. There's two drivers, I believe, in bad decisions. Two primary drivers. Pride, self-centeredness, that's what pride is. It's when I am at the center of my life. And then simply, fear. Those two things. If you look at some of your biggest decisions that you regret... It either had to do with a level of pride or self-centeredness or fear. And you go, okay. What are my motives? Because then you're opening yourself up to listening to people. When and here's how you kind of begin to discern some of your motives, by the way. Because you open yourself up to finally listening to people who might say something that you disagree with. When someone says something that I disagree with, what what are my emotions? Do I get defensive? Does internally my blood begin to boil? Do I start that process of, I may not say it outside, I may smile, I may, you know, oh, thank you so much, that's great. But internally, I have all the reasons why they're wrong. What are your motives? See, because you can hear counsel, even if it's not the right stuff, and begin to process and take it into account, and begin to go, okay, God, I really want to know, is this, is this, what's, is this real? I want to sit with you. How does it align with, with your word? And you know what? There might be a kernel of truth, so I don't want to miss it. But if internally the level of emotion rises when someone says something that disagrees with your direction, pay attention. It begins to reveal, okay, what are your motives? What's going on? Have I asked God for wisdom? Who am I listening to? What are my motives? Fourthly, do I feel pressured or rushed? The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Sometimes there is no other options. There's a deadline. You have to make a decision. Most of the time, that is not the case rule, this is just, uh, we won't spend a whole lot of time here, but a great rule for life is never make a big decision in a hurry. Never make a big decision in a hurry. If you feel pressured, if you feel rushed, step back. Get wise counsel. Get with God. Evaluate, because there are moments where it's just like, hey, the deadline's here. We got to make this decision. And I get that. More often than not, it's, It's felt by someone else and not simply this is the decision we have to make right now. I'll give you one example, uh, and I have many of them, and I'm sure you have many of them. Uh, When we were just moved early to, it's 2007, we moved to California. We were selling our house in Georgia. If you remember, the economy was starting to tank right about then. We had some really well-meaning, and this is the thing. They're really well meaning, godly people that really wanted to get us into a home, wanted to get us in. So they're trying everything to help us get into a home and own a home, which I love. And, and it was great heart on all that. But it was so pressured in the moment. It's like, hey, we got this, I got this builder, he's gonna leave half his equity in, and you can pay for half the equity. And, and there was just this tension, and there's this check in my spirit. And, and it just was one of those things. And this is the thing. When, when you're making big decisions, you allow the Spirit of God to lead the way. And you take the, you know, these steps, and if he checks, you, you, you go, okay, I want to listen. But there was this pressure and this hurry to get this done because, man, he had to get these, you know, this, these units sold. And I look back. It's like, never make a big decision in a hurry. Well, you guys know exactly what happened to the housing market right after that. And if we had jumped in right away feeling pressure to rush, we would be in over our heads and underwater. And sometimes well-meaning, with good intentioned people can pressure you because they think, oh, this is what's best. And you just go, okay, if if I feel pressured or if I feel rushed, I'm just going to take a step back. Okay, God, what are you saying on this? Get some outside eyes from, it, from the situation. And then finally, what is the next step? How do we make big decisions? Ask God for wisdom. Evaluate who you're listening to. Check your motives. Realize the environment under which you're making these decisions. Is it pressured or rushed? Are you able to make a wise decision? Are you feeling hurried? And then what is the next step? We can often get paralyzed by wanting to make the perfect decision. And the interesting part is you just need to take the next step. For some, you're stuck, you're paralyzed by fear, and not making the decision and not making a step is a bigger consequence than making a slightly not perfect step. The simple believe anything, but the prudent. Now, a prudent person, this is in in Proverbs, simply means this. A prudent person understands that all of life is connected. So they recognize that their past... And decisions are connected to their future outcome. And so they understand that every part of life is connected. The prudent person, now notice this, gives thought to their steps. Which means they're headed somewhere. They're making steps. And at the end, you've got to ask this question, what is the next step? And for some, you've been vacillating on a decision. You've got wise counsel. You sought the Lord and yet you're struggling to take the next step. And maybe God just sent me here on this Sunday to tell you, take the next step. You already know the right thing to do. Take the next step. You don't need to pray anymore about it. What is that even? Can can he say that? That's not even spiritual. You've already prayed enough. For some, it's already been revealed in God's word. You know what's morally right and what he's called you to do. Take the next step. Stop praying about it. What's the next step you need to take? Bad advice. Follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. Life's about the journey. Big decisions. Go to God. Evaluate who you're listening to. What are your motives? Do I feel pressured? What's the next step? Okay. I want to close right here. and I know it's been a lot of content. How do you discern God's will? Like, how, how do you discern what God's will is for your life? <clears throat> Because I've had that conversation time and time again. I've had it with young people. I've had it with families. I've had it with those who are in their retirement stage. Okay, what is God's will for my life? Like, I don't want to miss it. If God has a will and a plan, you know that Jeremiah 29 passage, for I know the plans for I have, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare. And not calamity to give you a future. I don't want to miss God's plan. How do I actually discover that? God's will is not mysterious. It's not mystical. It's not elusive. 90%. 90% of God's will is revealed in God's word. Let me say it again. 90% of God's will for your life is revealed in God's word, his universal will for you and for me. 10% of God's will for your life is specific and unknown. Well, how do you discover that? By obeying the 90%. If you're not obeying the 90%, you'll never hear about the 10% ever. God's will for your life is clear when it comes to your sexuality. God's will for your life is clear when it comes to your finances. God's will for your life is clear when it comes to your work and your marriage, your time and your kids, how you respond to difficult situations, how you respond to difficult people. God's will for your life is absolutely clear. And there's something in us because we just go, well, I don't know what God's will is. No, 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 no. When it comes to people who are difficult, he said we're to pray for them. We're to love them. Well, it's hard. And that's why we say his will's mysterious. Because if it's mysterious, then I don't really have to do it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, a famous, famous proverb. Trust, circle that word trust, right on top of it, lean. This word means to physically lean upon the same way that I'm leaning upon this podium. Lean upon something for support. Lean upon, put your full weight into the Lord with all of your heart. Remember that, that you're guarding that heart? Lean upon the Lord with all of you. And lean not, same exact word. Don't put your full weight and strength, your trust, on your own understanding, on your own insight. It says there's two ways that we lean in our life. We either lean into God or we lean into ourselves. Which one is yours? Two ways that you lean, two ways that I lean. When it comes to your finances, we either lean into God. He says, bring to me, and we're going to talk about this in a few weeks the first fruits. Trust me that I'll provide abundantly for you. Well, I'm either going to lean into God or I'm going to lean into me. Oh, no, no, no. I got to do this. I got to provide here. I couldn't. How could God provide for me? He only created everything. Two ways to lean in your sexuality. Well, this is just not the way. I'm never going to find a mate this way. And I, you know, this is just how everyone's going about it. I can either lean into God or I can lean into me. In all of your ways, underline all of your ways. I did some incredible deep research on this. It means everything you do. <laughs> it took me almost minutes to research that. In all of your ways, in everything you do, submit. Here's what that means. God's will, 90% is revealed in God's word. I'm going to bring my life into alignment with what you say. You want to know what God's will for your life is? It's very, very clear. I'm going to submit my will to your will. I'm going to have the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he was crucified, as he had a desire that he wouldn't be crucified, and he knew the pain ahead, and he prayed that God would pass this cup from him, and he said this, but not my will be done, but yours. That you submit your will to his will. And here's the most powerful thing, that, that 10%, that 10%. And he will make your path straight. See, when you live life with that, it's almost like every step you take is God's will. When you live surrendered, submitted to him, when you live the 90% clear, literally every step you take is not a mystery anymore. It's just like the very next step you take it's the spirit of God leading you and directing you. And you can have full confidence. Hey, I'm plugged in. Light is on. Let's go. And some of you need that this morning. And some of you have been wrestling with God. Some of you have been wondering, what do I do? And he's saying, trust me. Trust me. In every single area of your life. Would you lean upon me and my wisdom and my word. Even though the circumstances don't look like it's going to work out. Would you take me at my word and trust that I, I got things under control. And you'll experience the God that we just sang earlier about. That will never let you down. A few weeks ago at the beginning of the sermon, I told the story of my dream job and my incredibly wise wife that said, um, man, that was, this would be good for them, but it wouldn't be good for you. What I didn't share about that story was I was heartbroken I don't know if you've ever had that where you've held something out in front of you in the future that you were so excited about and you thought for sure that was God's will and it looked like the dream job that I was going to get to do and it, the door slammed shut and I was heartbroken and I was confused and I was curious, God, what are you doing? Like, like I am following you. In fact, I'm, I'm going into ministry and what I thought, I thought you set this up. I was struggling because I'd passed up some other good job opportunities along the way. And now I had a pregnant wife and no job offers at this point. And I'm going, oh, God. I remember sitting down with my mentor back to who you're listening to. His name was Dr. Joe Stoll. He's the president of Moody. And I remember just broken in his office, wrestling with this. And he gave me this picture, such a powerful picture. This is what having someone so wise who's gone before that can speak into a situation in hindsight because they've gone through it. And he said, you know, Ryan, he said sometimes, like God opens a door at the end of a hallway. And you see that open door, and so you walk to the end of the hallway, and it closes. And the reason God does that." is to show you there's a corridor that he has for you to walk down. You see, at your vantage point all the way back here, you can't see that there's a hard right turn at the end, that God wants to lead you into a new direction. And so from your perspective, you'll never take that road. But he had to lead you down this road, close this door, so hello, I'm facing this direction now. He had to get you into position. And for some, that's where you're at. You're at this morning, and you've been following God. You're like, hey, I've been doing the 90%. I was walking down. I thought this job was going to work out. I thought this relationship was going to work out. I thought this was supposed to happen, and that door shut, and I just got news for you. He's positioning you for the next place. He's putting you in the exact right place. He's showing you a corridor that from your perspective, you never would have walked down. And yet now you're in a place not only to hear, but take the next step. And for those in this room, I just can't help talk about the future in God's will without talking about the future when it comes to life after we die. See, we live in a very uncertain I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't tell you what's going to happen to our country. But I can tell you this. You can walk out of here with hope. And hope is the confident expectation of a better tomorrow. That's what hope is. I can't tell you what happens tomorrow with our economy. But I have a savior who died on the cross and rose again to new life, defeating sin, death, and Satan, so that I might have a future hope and know that I I don't have to have it all figured out, but he's returning. And he will come back and make all things right. And for some, you've never put your faith, your trust in Jesus. And you need to take the weight of your life And lean upon him. And you've been leaning on your own understanding, and it's been frustrating, and it's been tiring, and it's been hard. And God brought you here so that you could hear that you are loved more than you could ever imagine and that he wants to have a relationship with you and he would do whatever it takes to be with you. And he came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross so that he could take on every wrong that we ever did, every violation against a holy and just God. And he took your place and poured it out on the son, Jesus, on the cross. And in that moment, at the cross, Jesus defeated our biggest problem, that's sin. And in the grave, Jesus took on our biggest fear to be abandoned and alone and in the dark. And at the resurrection, Jesus overcame the greatest enemy, death, so that you can have a future hope and you can face the future of uncertainty with confidence because you have Jesus. So I'm going to close with a prayer. And if you're here this morning, and you want to start a relationship with Jesus, I just simply want you to pray after me. Simple prayer, nothing magical about it. Prayer is just a conversation with God. Dear Jesus, I've been leaning on my own understanding, and I'm at the end of my rope. Today, I place my full weight, my trust into you. I don't have it all figured out. But I believe you came for me, you died for me, that you are God, that you rose again to new life and today I put my trust in you. Would you come into my life and make me new? Would you forgive me and cleanse me? And the promise of scripture is as you cry out to God, he draws near to you and in that moment, You have stepped from an old life to a brand new life. In Jesus' name, amen.